This episode of Dirty Linen is proudly supported by Pepe Sayer Australian Cultured Butter, batch churned from single origin cream. Yeah, when you're doing something exciting like a whole hog or brisket or you're cooking on a 4,000 litre LPG tank pit, um, people are coming over to have a look and um, it's just a great community in general uh, and it kind of draws people of all sides and uh, of, of um, you know, all spectrums of society, I should say. Today on Dirty Linen, we are heading to Perth to talk to Don McDonald from Big Don's Smoked Meats. We've been back and forth for ages trying to line up this chat and obviously I had no idea that by the time we actually managed to do it, Perth would have been slammed into another short, sharp lockdown, but that's kind of the way of things in 2020 and 2021, isn't it, Don? Yeah, it was uh, certainly unexpected, but um, I think in general, people across Perth would have been hit a bit harder with this one just because it was Friday before a long weekend uh, as opposed to Sunday like the last one. It's really tough. I mean, hopefully by the time this recording goes out, you'll already be out of what was um, what was slated to be a three-day lockdown starting on Friday, late Friday night. Um, yeah, I mean, did you see this one sneaking up on you at all? No, I don't think anybody did. No, it was, um, I was, uh, I had, uh, some 207 day, uh, scotch fillets, uh, dried fillets that I was brining and about to put on a $200 ahead event, uh, on Friday night. And so it happened about 12 or one that it was some rumors. And then, uh, my partner dropped in and was like, Oh, you better check the news. And so we were sitting around waiting for McGowan's, uh, presser, um, just to see, we had plans in place before he announced it. We're like, all right, if it's a lockdown with a 5k radius, we deliver. If it's uh, a lockdown uh, where people can pick up, we'll pick up. Or if it's a lockdown at midnight, then we'll go ahead. And so we were pretty much ready, but I think you could probably say that about anybody uh, in hospitality in Australia this year, where it's a bit easier this time to roll with the punches. So what did you do actually? Cause the lockdown did start at midnight, didn't it? Yeah, it did. So it was just a mask mandate from six and a lockdown at uh, midnight. So we continued with dinner and it was uh, masked upon entry. Um, yeah. So um, we just spread everybody out uh, in the space because it was quite a large uh, warehouse space. And there's only 25 people, but um, you know, we just bit more social distancing and masks upon entry and um, you know, just being sensible with eating and drinking and that sort of thing. Uh, so it worked out well. And I think everyone was just stoked that the event still happened because we we're all worried. And then you're about to go into lockdown. So it's like, is it going to be tense or are people going to be happy to uh, attend a, a function? And I think everybody was pretty happy when I had. That's great. So everybody turned up. Yeah, everybody turned up. There was no questions at all about anyone not coming, I think. Um, and it, it felt like there's a little bit of, in Perth in general, there might be some complacency in the air because we've been, had it so good and the, the lockdowns have been so short. But um, I think we'll just have to wait and see next week. As a small business owner, how do you deal with all these ins and outs and ups and downs, Don? Like what is, do you have to sort of carry a different mindset into business all the time now? Well, um, I mean, I've been a sort of a strange business to begin with, um, based off Instagram and social media, lots of pop-ups, no sporadic, uh, very sporadic dates of trade. Um, I generally would post a schedule on a monthly basis saying, Hey, here's the four or five, six places we're trading this month. Well, t- um, Don, tell us a bit about your business. Uh, so big Don's, uh, smoke meat started off, um, just as an Instagram, uh, blog. Uh, so I was posting, mostly focusing on brisket, um, pretty much only brisket, uh, because it's just the hardest cut to cook in barbecue. Um, so it was 2016 or so, uh, 2017. And, um, at that time, 
you know, the, the brisket and the, and the barbecue in Australia was, uh, was pretty far behind the U S um, and it, it's still not at the same consistency, but, uh, you know, just sort of posting a lot of good photos and, and chatting to people about barbecue, uh, just lit the fire for me. And it, it sent me over on a couple of trips to the U S and, um, spending a lot of time working, uh, around, uh, well, not a lot of time, but a, a short stint working at a, a place called Louis Mueller barbecue where, um, he actually came over and did some classes in Australia. And so it kind of went from there and, um, turned into a full-time business about two and a half years ago. So what were you doing before that, um, for work? I was a state manager at Woolies. Uh, so it was just a middle management corporate job that, you know, you, you hate being at 90% of the time. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And it didn't give you that same fire in the belly as brisket. No, I mean, I'm, I'm 36. So I was 32, 33. And I think there's something about your thirties that is the right age to be an entrepreneur in some form or another. And up until barbecue, I hadn't had anything in my life that I was all that good at. That's so interesting. I mean, you sound like you you weren't born in Perth. So um, where, where, what's your background? No, I'm from uh, Edmonton, Alberta. So I'm from Canada. Um, and, uh, I came to Australia when I was 18, uh, as a backpacker, uh, and I overstayed a visa <laughs> and got married to an Australian. And, um, now I've been here 15 years. So, uh, in Perth the whole time. Wow. It's so interesting. I mean, can you, did you ever foresee that you'd be, um, big Don smoked meats and doing the food truck thing based around your love of brisket? No, no. And I only got into that like in 2016, 2017. So, um, prior to like, I was never into food. I've never worked in hospitality, uh, and getting into barbecue is what got me into food in general. So just, you know, the, the low and slow cooking, the, uh, you can do it decent, uh, or you can do it, go as deep down the rabbit hole as you want, uh, to try and produce, you know, like Franklin barbecue level food. Um, you know, and that's, uh, and it's the kind of thing that you need to do hundreds of times, 12 hours at a time and spend hundreds of dollars on meat every time you have a crack. So you're never going to nail it quickly and something about that process and cooking with fire that really got into me. And then from there, I've gotten quite into just cooking in general, but prior to that, I was like, skip meals and have meal replacement shakes kind of guy. <laughs> that is so interesting. So, I mean, I get this sort of search for perfection, which, you know, hooks a lot of people into slow and low barbecue. But I mean, what is it that got you in and, and, and why brisket and why um, this particular style of Texan barbecue? Well, I mean, I like beef. Um, probably that was the main reason. We've got a lot of good beef here um, and in Australia in general, not so much in Perth until uh, from a brisket point of view until recent years, but, um, certainly in the Eastern States, there's heaps of great, um, beef and brisket. And so, uh, we had stock at hand and yeah, I just got into it in the backyard. And I guess I, I approached it from uh, like a very nerdy point of view. Cause there's so much, you know, sort of myths around barbecue, like, you know, oh, how, how long do you cook it for and at what temperatures and, you know, and, uh, all that, what wood do you use? And, and so much of that is just distraction. And so there's a lot of sort of a scientific approach to it where you go, um, you know, the, you, once you cook enough times, you start to see patterns and, and you can narrow it down to, yes, you rest it for this long at this temperature and you slice it at this temperature and you serve it in this way. And you're going to be serving the most optimum product that you can depending on the cut of meat that you're serving or the, the type, uh, you know, the breed of brisket that you're serving. But 
I looked at it in that way. And so I'm, I'm not an engineer of any type, but I always meet engineers at events and things. And I can tell what the questions they're asking. I'm like, are you an engineer? They're like, yeah. And I'm like, that's the kind of approach that I sort of took to barbecue. That's so interesting. And so has your appreciation for barbecue sort of opened your eyes to a, a broader appreciation of food? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It just got me like, I'm sure many people with, um, that are passionate about hobbies or food, especially go down the rabbit hole and uh, get really into, you know, um, whether it's, you know, uh, you know, YouTube and videos and, and watching and reading everything they can. And so that was how it was for barbecue. And then, you know, for me, Tex-Mex and Mexican became, uh, a pretty big, uh, angle as well. Um, and now in general, uh, my, you know, the last couple of years, because we trade sporadically, we get, we've gained a good following for doing really authentic barbecue that takes quite some time. So we don't trade that often. So our events have been busy and, and because the, the following has grown, I've started to do a lot more events with, you know, uh, trained chefs, which I'm not, I'm like a one trick pony here. And, um, so, you know, but they're just as interested in what I'm doing. And so I've had a lot of good collaborations, which probably collaborations have, have been the source of excitement for me. And that's then I think shown in excitement online for, and people have come down to get around it. Um, and I've learned a lot from, from other people that have a lot more training and experience. So, I mean, why did you go down the food truck route and, you know, is there anything that you're jealous that permanent of, of what permanent businesses have and, and what do you think permanent businesses are envious, envious of when they look at your business? Well, um, yeah, I think there's certainly pros and cons to both, but I, I think that classic sort of brick and mortar versus um, food truck angle that you get uh, has always been a bit funny for me because food trucks aren't cheap either. You know, I mean, uh, as someone with, you know, little savings when I started, uh, like I, I started with no savings, um, you know, you, even a $70,000 food truck seems out of reach, you know, and then um, the rest of your registrations and insurances, and you're still looking at an, a big upfront expense. So, Look, my origin story from the pop-up side uh, was was probably pretty dodgy. I was selling food on Instagram, and uh, I got fined thirty thousand dollars by my local council. Oh man! Um, <laughs> yeah, and so it started off as posting on Instagram, going, um, you know, saying, uh, "Hey, I've got a few briskets available this weekend if you want to come around." And um, I tried to keep it quite coy, and I had about five or six of these. And by the sixth one, I did. There was about 75 strangers that came to my, my large property yard, um, with eskies and camp chairs and we'd have a barbecue. And so it was, it was awesome. Uh, and it was like, wow, I actually made a little bit of money doing this. And so I started off in, you know, that format and the run with the council, um, we sorted out and I've even catered for that council's Christmas party since then. Um, <laughs> the Victoria Park council in WA and, so it was not the origin story. Like don't start that way is what I would say. But the point of that versus brick and mortar would be that I started on zero budget and like my business is, has no debt and I have a very low rent on a warehouse storage space. And so I've just built it up from one event to the next for a few years. And it's led to less anxiety and stress for me versus say signing a lease at a brick and mortar venue and, you know, not having a socials following or a presence and they're going, all right, now how do we make money here? And the idea of that scares the shit out of me. Because mm. I mean, like, do you, is this your own only gig now or do you like between events, do you have to do something else or this is it? No, no. For the last two and a half years, it's been full time. The first, I was made redundant at Woolies. Um, and I mean, I sort of forced them to make me redundant because I was ready to quit. And 
the first six to 12 months of doing this full time was mostly catering, uh, the odd pop up here and there. And, um, like I was doing Bunnings at demo, uh, demos, uh, at Bunnings for barbecue stuff and just local things. And it was anything to hustle and, and make some money to pay rent. And I'd say the last, um, 12 months, probably from about October, 2019 prior to COVID in 20 April, 2020 is when it started to really take off for me. Um, and we were getting lines of, you know, a hundred, 150 people and waits of three hours to, to be served. And, um, and this was from food trucks, like behind bottle shops or, um, like we'd go to the cool, you know, the craft beer bottle shops, main liquor and these ones in town. And, or we'd, we'd pair up with, um, with a brewery or coffee shop and we'd do events and people would start coming down and it was just all through social media. Um, and then just prior to COVID, we were starting to get just bonkers busy and then COVID happened and we had to totally change last year. I mean, no offense to brisket, but three hours. Yeah. Well, I mean, see the thing, the difference of that is, and it sounds crazy, right? Is but people come down to our events and they'll wait in line for two, three hours for cafeteria style service. So when you get to the front of the line, it's sliced fresh in front of you, you see it, it's handed to you and you walk away as opposed to sitting down at a table with a number and waiting for someone to deliver it. And as crazy as that sounds, they're a lot of fun, especially when they're only infrequent weekly or, you know, a few times a month. And the, the vibe we always try and give it that is we usually have like, you know, cornhole out and it'll be definitely a licensed space. Um, you know, there'll be probably someone playing music and, and we'll tell people you're only going to get a free sample in line if you bring a lawn chair. Right. Okay. Nice. And so with that sort of atmosphere, it's become just like, yeah, it's just become a big party. And since January of 2020, we've sold out of every event we've done. So it's, it's about a hundred straight days of trade just selling out. So it kind of just grew from there. And I, I used to do all the, well, I still do all the cooking, but I used to do all the serving and slicing. Now I'm too slow because I talk so much to the customers. And so I had to put, I just tell everybody when you get to the front and you talk to the the till, it's no nonsense, just get your order in. And I go down the line and just hang out with them and drink beers and talk to the customers. And that's been that's been the business model. That sounds like a pretty, <laughs> that sounds like a, you got a pretty good deal there. Um, so obviously it was like going gangbusters as we rolled into COVID last March. Um, how was 2020 for you? I mean, for looking, you know, from my position in Melbourne, it seems like WA was like the golden land. Of course, I'm talking to you now, you're in lockdown. I've just been running around town, you know, having a nice, nice day. Um but yeah, overall, you know, what's, what's the last year been like for you? Um, well, it's been my best year by mile, probably double the previous year. Um, and, uh, I'm just lucky because of the flexibility that I have people on my, on Instagram in particular, they're, you know, they're pretty used to saying, Oh, he's going to be here this weekend. And so we can chop and change, you know, we, um, when we came into COVID, it was a tough time because, uh, I, things were just starting to crank for the past few months and I'm like, Hey, this is actually going really well. And, and then in the course of, there was that week of April where, um, probably across the country, but in WA, it was about April, uh, the second or third week where I had, I had another pop-up called smash burger, uh, where a friend of mine, you know, has a burger shop in town. We would just combine his burgers and my barbecue and just do another pop-up similar. Um, and so we closed both businesses and the course of two days and just said, look, we're closing. Definitely. You know, we don't know when we knew it was down to 500 gatherings at the time. And we knew it would be down to 50 or whatever in a, within a few days. So we said, this is our last day of trade. And we had 300 people and uh, like a six hour wait and uh, for food. Uh, 
and we, we had to, we had to put the sold out sign up like our, like wait, it was down the street and people came and it was also a gloomy day with like bushfire. So it looked like the apocalypse and people pulled up their utes and tailgated and everyone was somber and drinking and everybody was like, what the hell is going to happen? Wow. And that week or two after that was just um, like, you know, it just hears you out. Right. And then it was like, what the hell is going to happen? Like food trucks and pop-up businesses have to completely close during COVID because there's no markets. We don't really do those as much ourselves anyway, because we don't feel like paying a, a cut to the operator. But, um, you know, unless you can draw your own crowd, you're closed. And so at least brick and mortar could transition to, um, you know, to takeaways and, and things. So our, our plan during COVID was, was really unusual we switched to pre-ordered pickups curbside and we would take this dodgy old uh caravan i have that's fitted out with the commercial kitchen so that's my food truck no signage on it. it's just yellow it just looks awesomely you know uh trailer park <laughs> and we would draw we would pre-order sell on instagram uh, and sell you know 200 heads worth of, of meat platters and we would vac seal them up warm and say, all right, we're going to be down in this suburb at this bottle shop. And when people arrived, they had to text us for curbside from their car and we'd roller skate it out to them. And, uh, you know, we just had fun with it and that blew up even bigger. It turned into our biggest days of trade ever in the first few months of COVID. And we were just so surprised and it just was like, just adapting and going like, okay, how are we going to do it this week? Half my team, none of my team qualified for job keeper. Um, you know, we were all like, what are we going to do? That is really outstanding. So did, is that what you did? Um, so I guess you reopened in June, right? Um, so we reopened in May, um, uh, or May okay. about three weeks. Oh, bloody Perth. Yeah. Through, well, no, we were still in lockdown all, for all of May and June. Um, my son was born May 1st, my first child. And oh, wow. so I said to the team, it was such a weird time. I had like a team of about, we usually have about 12 to 15 people working in an event, but um, everyone's casual. I've only got three or four that are quite core people. And so I said to three of them, I was like, look, I'm, an, I'm not going to be able to function. Um, what, for two months from May and June, we ran the business like a seize the means of production, you know, lefty style. Uh, all right, we're four business partners and everything we do is all four of us taking a, a split at the end. And um, they have to do equal amounts of work. And I'm not doing much of anything because I'm spending time with my family. And we kept the business going and they weren't eligible for JobKeeper and they got paid and, and it was pretty good. You know, everyone was making a, you know, uh, seven or 800 bucks a week and putting in a few hard days, but, um, it wasn't outrageous. It was pretty good. And we got to the end of that. And I said, all right, I'm taking my business back and I got to start growing again. And we started to switch once lockdown ended to going back to our pop-ups where we took over. Um, we tend to go to bowling clubs cause there's 500 seats, you know, it's local community. Um, they have a bar parking, um, you know, parking galore and they're in great suburbs. So we would rock up at bowling clubs and the bar for the bowls clubs community would do five grand and we'd do our food sales and everyone was happy. So we didn't pay anything to be there. Customers had heaps of facilities and we started to play into this like Aussie bowling club vibe. And we started just going insane from about July through until now, um, where we would, yeah, we would have, um, we had to pair our menu back to only a couple of items so that we could move as fast so that we could serve every 20, 30 seconds rather than every two minutes so that the line started to move a lot faster. This is a really incredible business and it's so different to uh, the American barbecue scene. And, and it's amazing that you've got this real Aussie angle to it with the bowling clubs. And of course, when people spend money at those bowling clubs, they're putting money straight into those local communities, which is, which is really fantastic. 
It was easily the best option for us because we'd done a few here and there, but um, there's a few great bowling clubs in town, like in good young suburbs with huge facilities and um, not they're always available. And, um, you know, you get a lot of requests once, once we start to take off, it was like, Hey, do you want to come to my festival? Uh, by the way, you only need to pay us 15, 20%. And I'm like, uh, no, mate, <laughs> like, no. Uh, and the food vendors just get stuffed in these situations. Like, you know, I'm, uh, I'm trying to, we've, I've done so many collabs with other food vendors, uh, and you know, because I can draw a crowd now, we'll, I'll say, yeah, we'll go to this venue. We'll, we'll trade together. You're not paying anybody anything. We all, you know, take our sales and we just have a good day. And, um, you get a lot of requests that can you come, come down to my pub on a Friday night and draw a crowd so I can sell beers. And I'm like, well, no, <laughs> like, well, you know, it's, it's gotta be about the customer and it's gotta be about, um, the experience and a bowling club is a shockingly good one. Like, the, the Interloop Sportsman's Club in town here, you know, the oldies that run it, um, they would go and sell beers in line. They, we would hire a band and we would have like a Thursday night, um, party, usually uh, Thursdays that was, you know, we'd be at 500 capacity. Mm, so good. Um, uh, you're obviously pretty community minded and I know you did a bushfire fundraiser for the recent fires in WA. Can you talk about that? Yeah, it was, um, we just had never done anything charity minded before. Um, and I was looking for a good cause. Uh, and that, that fire in particular was in February while we were in our two week lockdown. And so it got no attention. It was like, um, the south, one of the worst ones in about three decades or something. Um, and 87 homes lost. And, um, so it was a pretty bad one and it just got like no attention because one, bloody security guard was gallivanting around town, um, possibly spreading COVID, um, and that shut us down. And so that was the focus. So I said, like to the, there's a brewery that, uh, feral brewing, um, that's, uh, really that I work with a lot. And I said, do you guys want to do something out in the Valley, which is just up the road, like a block, uh, a kilometer or two away from the impact zone. And so they said, yeah, let's do it. And so in two weeks we threw that together and I was, um, on Instagram one night and I said, all right, we're going to do this. Uh, uh, we're going to raise $50,000 and if we don't do it, I'll cover it myself. <laughs> and, um, so that put the pressure on because uh, I hadn't organized any sponsors or anything outside of the venue. Um, but when I started to, when you, when you set an ambitious goal, um, it was unbelievable the way people came out for that. So I had meat suppliers offering, how much do you need? 500 kilo brisket? No worries. Um, you know, we, we cooked 1400 kilos of meat. Um, we had a hundred volunteers. Um, we set up like a production line of food and we serve someone every 20 seconds. So even though we, we serve 1400 kilos and something in the range of 800 people, we were sold out in less than four hours. This is like Olympian level. Like it was crazy. <laughs> I've, I've learned for sure that like logistics is the key, right? It's like if you've got a big crowd, you um, you know, you run a simple menu. If you've got a um, if you've got a small crowd, you can have a more complex menu. But um, the busier you're going to be, the simpler it's got to be. Do you think that people? Do you think people in general have learned to be more community minded during this period? Well, I mean, in that particular case, we were in the COVID thing, and uh, you know, we I couldn't believe the turnout. Like we we raised one hundred and five thousand off of the fifty thousand dollar goal in essentially one afternoon of just raffles and beer sales and food. And it was crazy. Uh, but I mean, it was like, I was kind of just like the cheerleader, uh, everyone else came down and actually spent the money and we, but I gathered the barbecue community in that case. And so the barbecue community, um, is, is just the best. Like if you're like, Hey, I got a cause, 
I need to borrow 10 trailers, barbecue trailers. I need 20 bodies who can come and cook for 24 straight hours. People are like, where do you want me? And that's the best. And so that community is just so good. And if you need a, a, a cause or a group that'll do it, they'll get it done. Um, in general, I think, um, you know, a lot of people would have been doing it hard throughout the country. And so, uh, you know, if you see a good cause, you, you want to assist, um, but yeah, I, I think WA and Perth are, have always been very generous. The telethon turnouts have been decades of you know support. And so um, if you have a cause uh, and you're doing something for the local community, people are coming. This episode of Dirty Linen is proudly supported by Pepe Sayer Australian Cultured Butter batch churned from single origin cream. We've got a culturing process, a fermenting process, an aging process. So the butter will taste very different than, I guess, the average supermarket butter. Uh, I like to say we make butter makers butter. Like this is the sort of butter butter makers will, would like to eat simply because of the slow process in which we ferment and age and, and get the flavour into it, with, you know, the natural fermentation that gets all the flavours into the cream and then once you churn it, you end up with this really rich, flavoursome butter that evolves and changes because it's a live culture that's in the butter as well. For more information, go to pepisaya.com.au. You talk about the barbecue community. What what is it about barbecue that just people love so much? Well, it's just, um, I mean, I probably wouldn't put it as eloquently as, um, you know, your, your interview with Matt Horn was a really good one. And he, I've spoken to him for years uh, on Instagram because uh, he and I both were in retail management and we both left our jobs at the same time. Um and so he he's a really uh, eloquent person in regards to this sort of like the maybe it's the southern american uh you know um southern states uh sort of religious aspect too it's a bit of a spiritual thing i think in australia it's probably more just you know mateship and like there's something about a barbecue like if you got if you smell steak cooking up the street you're like somebody's barbecuing um you know if you're at an event and you're, you got a barbecue going and a fire and a wood fire and, uh, people are coming over to have a look. And I don't know, it's just, um, and uh, you know, in, in the days of like the steaks these days, steakhouses in the state of, um, steakhouses as a, as a restaurant, they're pretty much dead. And because people have learned so many techniques in the yard. Um, and so, yeah, when you're doing something exciting, like a whole hog or brisket, or you're cooking on a 4,000 liter, LPG tank pit, um, people are coming over to have a look and, um, it's just a great community in general. Uh, and it kind of draws people of all sides and, uh, of, of, um, you know, whether it's a politics or, or the way that, uh, you know, all spectrums of society, I should say. Mm, yeah, sure. I guess, you know, yeah, people are, are so capable and cook such interesting and diverse food at home these days. Um, but barbecue is something that's, I guess, really democratic. It's it's not, you know, highfalutin and posh, but it's the kind of thing that you can't just, like, decide. It's it's not just a, like, oh, what's for dinner? Oh, just, you know, I'll just quickly cook brisket for 12 hours. So I suppose it is one of those foods that you generally rely on somebody else to make or you have to be really embedded in that well to be bothered to do it yourself. So, yeah, it's, I can definitely 
um, understand the appeal in that sense. I mean, you know, you mentioned the chat with Matt Horn, and um, if anyone hasn't listened to that chat, you've got to scroll back a couple of months and you'll find it. But it is, I love that chat too, and he's incredible. But he, he, he's obviously really embedded in that culture, and it's something that he grew up with. Do you find that that world is is very welcoming? And have you ever had to sort of consider? I don't know, like whether you need some kind of connection to it, whether you need permission to do it. You know, do you feel like it's a, it's yeah, that that it that anyone could do barbecue if they if they just go into it with with the right attitude? No, I think if you're um, if you're, I guess once people see your food and if it looks legit, people are you're you're accepted into the barbecue fraternity. If you're a good person, then then you're definitely accepted. Uh, the funny thing is. You know, I mean, as I uh, have um, started to meet quite a few people in the state, so uh, Matt Horn uh, knows Wayne Mueller quite well, who owns Louis Mueller Barbecue in Taylor, Texas, uh, and he was kind of his protege. And um, I've I went and worked at uh, Wayne's restaurant for a few days before he then came to Perth and Melbourne for uh, some classes in Sydney um, in 2019 in October. Um, and so it was a, a case of like, like that guy is, um, the statesman of barbecue. He is a, a humble Southern fella. And, um, you know, he, he's not a black pit master, but, uh, he was the sort of protege for Matt, I think. Um, and he certainly was someone who gave me advice, uh, because it's just whether you're in, you know, a family restaurant for three generations or you're Aaron Franklin, who's a hipster, uh, musician who gave barbecue a go and then changed the barbecue world. If you're putting out good food, um, if you're being a good person, you're pretty much accepted into it. And it's just funny because, you know, I've had times like I, I can't, uh, a month ago, uh, a year ago, sorry, when I first bought my food truck, I had a really bad cook where I stuffed up some briskets and I was about to serve for the first time, walk up out of my food truck. And I knew there'd be a hundred people there because of the, the popularity at the time. And I messaged the pitmaster from Franklin barbecue, who I'd just met a few weeks before and brought a few Australian beers and kind of snuck my way into the pit room for a few hours. And I said, mate, what do I do? And I was like, I've stuffed this up. I've overcooked it. And he gave me great advice. He's like, well, rest it longer, slice it at a lower temp, um, add some fats back into it. He goes, it'll, it, it won't crumble. You'll get your slices off work. And I, I did that and it wasn't my best brisket by a mile, but I was probably the only one that noticed. And to be able to get a reply from basically the guy who cooks more brisket in the world than anyone, uh, uh, and you know, get advice was because he took the time to go and chat and, and they knew you weren't from a competing restaurant up the street. <laughs> That's so nice. I love it. It's really, yeah, it is really great. It's funny. It's like, I don't know if there's, I don't know, a pizza community like that, or I don't think there's like an eggplant community or a, like, I don't know, a gremolata <laughs> community, but there is definitely something about barbecue. Maybe it's that, you know, you cook it for so long, there is a lot of standing around and chatting time. And I don't know, it's something, it always is congenial, like standing around while people are cooking meat. There is something that I guess yeah, it makes connections. It's, it's definitely special. And, um, you know, as, uh, uh, as COVID ends and, uh, lockdowns around the world ease up, like I'm going to be getting some of these guys over here. Like, you know, I can organize events and classes around them and pay for their flights and get those personalities to Perth because, uh, you know, it, we've done it before and, and the demand is there. Like Australia is so, 
well uh, equipped for a barbecue um, community. And that's why there's so many good Australian, the best barbecue in Australia is cooked in people's yards over commercial premises at the moment in general, because uh, whether it's caters or small businesses, it's only an owner operator that can put in the time to produce that food. Um, you know, chain barbecue doesn't exist. That's, that's all that good. Um, you know, it's generally like one guy or, uh, you know, his family and, um, you know, a small group of people that are doing that day in and day out. And I think you can relate to people that go through that process. Mm, that's so interesting. Yeah. It's always got to be really personal. Small town barbecue, I think is the way they refer to it in Texas. The best barbecue is usually in the small towns. Ah, that's a great tip for traveling as well. When, whenever like, we're allowed like to Lexington, go back to Texas. Yeah. Yeah. All that year, years away still, but we'll I think so. Yeah. Well, you bring them out for us. That'd be good. Um, so you sound like, you know, you've had a pretty good year and uh, it's, you're not going to have to try to be optimistic about your business, but what are you particularly optimistic about? Well, I think I'm up opti- So something I've tried to do a bit more in Perth is um, I've been, uh, arguing about the restrictions around the councils, uh, with food trucks and, and street food, uh, you know, is that they're, they're very difficult. So Melbourne's got a pretty good system with, you know, you have your annual permit, um, you know, and you, you have a few rules to follow, but you could pretty much trade where you want. They'll drop in and check in on you. We have a system here that takes 21 days in advance to get a single permit. You have to go through a thousand different councils. It's really detrimental to any sort of street food, uh, setup. And I think, yeah, for me, uh, you know, I'm I'm going to try and expand my warehouse space and build a commercial kitchen where if I have a restaurant one day, it's going to trade two days a week and that's it. Because this amount of food, this type of food, no one wants brisket on a Tuesday, like uh, at lunchtime. And I'm not cooking it on a Tuesday. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to cook for 12 to 15 hours the day before and another 12 to 15 hour day on the day of service. So I'm, I'm cooking and holding briskets through the night in the Franklin barbecue method. So that's a 30 hour turnaround time before I've even served a slice of brisket. So I'm only doing that one day a week, um, maybe two. And with all that other free time, like I could have people popping up in my kitchen space, you know, we could be doing, um, people that are are operators and selling good food who, uh, don't have a food truck who aren't, don't want to bite off a restaurant lease, uh, which is smart. Uh, you know, they have a proof of concept space to test that and, I mean, I've, there's a shop in Perth called Bad Love Burgers and it's my mate Tristan. And he started out just making burgers with me and selling them through Big Dawn's at events. And he's, he makes the best burgers in Australia by a mile and it blows me away how good they are. And, you know, he didn't have the money to, to go and take a crack. And it, I improved as a, as a cook by being with him. You know, uh, there's another guy, Archie's Hot Chicken that, um, uh, does Nashville Hot Chicken, which has become pretty trendy lately. And it's the same thing. And so there's people like that coming up all the time. And, you know, um, that's what happened to me. And so I just want to be able to like collab with people. Uh, ne- next month, I'm taking over Rockpool in Perth. I'm taking over their kitchen, which is awesome. So optimistic wise, working with trained chefs and doing more high-end services a lot as a, as, as a sort of an uh, opposite of what we normally do has been probably the most exciting thing for me. That is really great that you're going to Rockpool. How cool. Well, yeah, their, their, their pastry chef was a fan and he brought me some, uh, crack pie, which is the Momofuku uh, treacle pie. And it was amazing. And he was like, do you guys want to do a collab? And it just worked out that we met the Sydney executive chef and, and, um, so they're going to, I'm going to take over Rockpool and do the barbecue and they're going to do the sides in a bit with paired wines and in a very nice setting. Um, and then the next week 
a few of their chefs are going to be in my unmarked caravan behind a bottle shop. And we're going to do uh, rock pools, dried steak and chips, but it'll be a fancy takeaway. Um, so just from a contrasting point of view. That is so fun. Basically, if it's not fun, and the great thing is, you you know, people that are cool and they're like, hey, that sounds great. Let's do it. If it's fun, I want to do it. And that's pretty much been the motto for everything is when I stop having fun, I'll go back to my old job. Like I'm not going to slug it out in hospo and, and, you know, have a, a business that's, that struggles and then feel bad about myself because I wouldn't have the mental fortitude to do it. And so I only want to do the things that are fun for me. And luckily so many people have come along for the ride in that regard. And it just honestly blows my mind that I'm in a situation where I'm like, I'm this guy who has never worked in a kitchen and it keeps working and I'm just going to keep doing it until it stops working. That's great. Well, I haven't had the pleasure of eating your food, but I've I've certainly drooled over on Instagram. So um, I look forward to not being scared to buy a ticket to Perth um, so that I can come and actually wait three hours, drink some beers and get some brisket at the end of it. But, um, well, hopefully not three, but um, yeah, I mean, we'd, we'd love to have you. Certainly, um, I hope this three-day lockdown is, is only three days, but uh, if it does go a couple weeks, then I'm sure it'll be stamped out and we'll be back to normal. But I mean, I feel for everyone in hospitality that loaded up for the long weekend this weekend with, you know, perishables that uh, aren't going to be able to be served. Like it's just such difficult stop start at the moment. Um, and that's probably where I, I feel for everybody in my industry in Perth. It's devastating. It's just, and it's just so shocking. And yeah, I mean, people have been so resilient and used up so much energy in dealing with it. So, I mean, definitely in Australia, we're still really lucky, but um, it's just a real punch in the guts um, to be thrown into lockdown like you guys have been. So I'm glad you were able to get your dinner in and it's yeah great to hear about all the exciting and fun things you're doing. Really appreciate your time in coming along to have a chat, Don. Thank you so much. No, thanks. Thank you very much for having me. Um, I really appreciate uh, the time. Uh, you know, it was just scrolling through your list of podcasts. There's, there's quite a few personalities that I, I was familiar with and some others that you know, I'm, uh, that I'm becoming familiar with. So now it's, it's, it's interesting because I feel like a bit of an outsider in hospital, but there's just plenty of cool people in it. And, uh, yeah, thank you for your time to have a chat. No worries. Take care. This is Dirty Linen and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about. We spend a week thrashing around each issue hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you. This.